Amen. Is everybody ready for a word this morning from the Lord? So am I. So am I. Dave, if you can put up Matthew chapter number five. Matthew chapter number five, verse number seven. And I want the rest of the congregation, if you can turn to Psalm 103. And we're going to be preaching this morning from Psalm 103. Pray with me. Father, we just thank you so much for your mercy and your grace. Lord, I decrease that your spirit in me might increase. Father, will you speak to the hearts of your people? Bring them revelation and encouragement and to know the love that you have for all of us, God. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, This morning, I want to talk to you about the subject of the mercy of God. How many of you would say that you need God's mercy? One of the wonderful things about the mercy of God is that it, it keeps on chasing you. In fact, I'm reminded of that scripture that says in Psalm 23, at the end of that particular passage of scripture, how it says that goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. The reason why that is so important is because we all mess up sometimes. How many of you have ever been there? And I like this scripture where it says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. In fact, I want everybody to say that together real loud. Ready? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Let's say it again with faith. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, the reason why that is so important, that scripture verse is loaded, is because as you and I have the opportunity to show mercy and grace to somebody who don't deserve it, then when you find yourself in a situation that you need the mercy of God, then God will extend that mercy back to you. I've learned that you can be no closer to God than when you begin to show mercy to somebody else who don't deserve it. Now, I've seen a strange phenomena in the body of Christ over the years. There's not a a lot of good things about war, right? And we all can agree with that. But one of the things about the military and one of the things about war and the battlefield I love is the camaraderie that they have with each other. That if one of the soldiers get hurt, get wounded, that the others will make sure to take care of them. That means they got to patch them up. If a soldier is fallen, then somebody will cover that soldier. You ever seen some of these war movies how these soldiers, they look out for each other, and you can see them wounded. And, 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 you know, and these guys could very easily say, you know what, I'm going to get out of here because the bullets are flying. I'm sorry, but I don't want to get killed, so I got to go. And they could leave them, but they never do. They never, ever leave their, their friends or those who are alongside of them in battle. But what they do is that they take care of one another and they they help to heal one another. If somebody has been hurt or wounded in battle, they look out for each other, no matter what it is that they're going through. Let's 
you know, sometimes soldiers are just like everybody else. You don't always like the people that you deal with all the time. Their personality conflicts, I'm sure. But when it comes to them being on the battlefield, you know what? They put all that stuff aside. And they do what they got to do to make sure that everybody is covered. We're not going to let you go down. But, you know, sad to say that in many of our Christian circles, it's not always that way. That there's something about the Christian. And I don't know what it is, but we're the only army that I know of that we shoot our wounded. When a brother or sister falls for whatever reason, instead of saying, you know, brother, let me help you up. I'm sorry. You know, uh, you know, let's let's you know, let me help you. Let's get through this. I'm going to be with you. Sometimes as Christians, we love to hear the bad stuff. Oh, such and such and such did what they did that. And then not only do we want to hear about it. But we're sometimes ready to broadcast the wrong that they did. And we what we do, we put ourselves on a pedestal to say that we're a little bit better because I would have never done that. It's a sad testimony in the body of Christ that the people of God that that we sometimes you ever seen some of those cowboy movies and how sometimes, you know, a guy is wounded. He's laying there. And then the bad guy comes up or the opposition comes and they finish him off. You know, he's maybe still living. They finish him off. That's the picture that God gave me how we are sometimes in the church. People are wounded. And instead of lifting them up, we come in and we just put our foot on them even more and we just finish them off. Because and then sometimes we say this. They got what they deserve. God help us as a people not to ever be this way. You hear me oftentimes talk about in our church, I want there to be a culture of grace. A culture of grace does not mean that we promote sin. Because inevitably, somebody will say, oh, you know, Pastor Gary, they just, they just, you know, they just let anybody do what they want to do and Anybody who walk with me for any length of time know that I preach righteousness. We preach the word of God. And we're going to hold people accountable as we should. But we don't promote sin in the church. We promote grace over sin because the Bible says that where sin abounds, grace what? Much more abounds. And so there ought to be mercy in everything that we do. This idea of mercy did not just originate in the New Testament as in the scripture that we have up there. Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. But this idea came way back in the Old Testament. How many of you have ever heard of the Ark of the Covenant? Back in the Old Testament, they used to have the tabernacle or the temple. And they would have like the table of shoe bread and the altar of incense. And, you know, and then they had the holy place. And then they had a place that they call the holies of holies. And that was where the Ark of the Covenant was. The people of Israel, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was like this golden lid that covered it. And it was called the mercy seat. 
And what was on top of this mercy seat were two cherubims that were facing each other. And so what the priest would do was once a year, only once a year, that he would go into the holiest of holies and nobody else could, could go in there, only the priest. And he would atone for the sins of the people. He would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, demonstrating that, that God's grace and the power to forgive sin. Now, that was a foreshadowing of what was to come later, which is Christ. Today, Jesus Christ is our mercy seat because he went into the holiest of all, laid down his own blood on God's mercy seat, and because of what he did, you and I can experience Jesus' mercy every day of our life. There's a scripture that talks about how that his mercies are new every morning. That means every single day, God got mercies that are stored up for you when you blow it. Other day, and this is just a couple examples I'll share with you before we go into Psalm 103. Um, you all have heard of Governor Mark Sanford, the governor from South Carolina that had these indiscretions. And wife is absolutely, she's a godly woman. I, I'm convinced that I read some stuff and I'm reading. Because everybody else, including Christians, says, you need to dump that man. He need to be, you know, destroyed. Now, I want you to hear this. Here's a man that met with other senators and congressmen on somewhat of a regular basis. They had Bible studies together. So this man had some kind of relationship with God. And everybody else is saying that if I were in her shoes, I will kick him to the curb. I guess we all could say, yeah, and it, it would be justified to do that considering the circumstances. But she talks about the mercy and the grace of God and how the God bestowed mercy on her. And God has given her the grace to be able and willing to forgive her husband if and when he wants to get his act together. Now, I don't hear the church clapping their hands about that saying, yippee, you know what we're saying? Leave. Come on. I'm just calling what it is, right? Uh, leave. The lady, uh, New Life Church, Pastor Ted Haggard, years ago, big minister who had so much going on in his ministry, 10,000-member church. I mean, God was blessing. He got into this affair with this man who was a homosexual, homosexual affair he got involved in. And I hear this woman, this woman is absolutely incredible. She talks about his wife. I mean, this woman is a giant. I'm telling you, if I, I, I may have sent the email out to somebody. But if you ever, this lady, uh, Ted Hager's wife, is the, I mean, she is an example for every godly woman. Now, I'm not sitting here suggesting that you should, listen, you decide what you want to do in your relationship with God. But I'm talking this morning about the mercy of God. She said that every time she thought about all the wrong that he did and what he deserved, she, she would get mad and she would get angry. But then whenever she began to just think about God's mercy and his grace and what he's done in her life and what they've been through, he said, God just released her. And she is still with her husband. They are still together. <coughs> they are still walking together in the Lord. But, you know, there's a lot of Christians saying, and, and Ted Hager said this. He said many people in the church, they don't talk to him anymore. I want you to hear this. They don't want to have anything to do with that man. In fact, he said when people see him, they stay away from him. They avoid him like the plague. Now, whatever happened to the mercy of God? 
I'm not saying that what he did was right. Y'all understand what I'm saying. But whatever happened to, to mercy? I mean, because if it were not but for the grace of God, where would we be? But it's amazing how we forget and the mercy of God doesn't seem too, too attractive to us until we find ourselves in a situation where we need it. Now we're saying, oh, God, bless me. have mercy on me. I lost it today. I did something I shouldn't have done. Now we want mercy. But when somebody else falls, we have this thing that we're just like ready to drop the hammer. Drop the hammer. And I'm convinced it's because we don't understand the mercy of God. We have forgotten where God has brought us from. I am standing up here today not because I am some great giant. And you all know that because you've been around me enough to know that. I'm only up here today because of the mercy of God and his grace. And so everywhere I go, I preach the mercy and grace of God. I don't spend a whole. Listen, how many know that people usually when they come to church because they come to church, people generally already know that they got issues. So then why when they come to church, I want to just beat them up and tell them how ugly they are. I grew up in an environment like that, in a church like that, where every week, you just heard it, brother. I mean, it was some strong language. You're going to go. You're going to burn up in hell. God's going to get you. Your life is going to be horrible. I heard, I mean, I just sucked all that in because that's what I was taught. There was, but there was no mercy. There was no grace in none of that. And, and, and what we need to understand is that God says, blessed are the merciful, for they, we shall obtain mercy. So when I show mercy toward my brother who don't deserve it, guess what's coming back to me? Mercy. Mercy. So what is mercy? Mercy is a blessing. It's an act of divine favor or compassion. <laughs> wow. It's compassionate treatment of those who are in distress. In biblical terms, it's simply put, receiving the good that we do not deserve. <laughs> receiving the good that none of us deserve. I bet this morning that once I get through with this sermon, your whole paradigm is going to shift. If you have all have had a distorted view of mercy after this sermon, you'll see differently. But Psalm 103, and I'm going to start for time's sake. I'm going to start in verse number six because I want to get this going. That was my introduction. That wasn't too long, was it? Hallelujah. Because you're all excited anyway. You just love the word of God. I know you do. Bless God. Hallelujah. Well, verse number six in Psalm 103. Listen to this. We'll start in verse six and we'll read down to verse 17. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children. So the Lord pity those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. 
As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord, it is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. First point I want to make, I'll take a few things out of this passage of scripture is the Lord is slow to anger. Aren't you glad the Lord doesn't get mad quick? See, we are quick tempered. I mean, we get mad at the drop of a hat. But one of the things about God is God is slow to anger. In fact, it goes further down and says God does not keep his anger forever. The picture that we have of God sometimes is that God, you heard me say this recently, that God is that cosmic bully and that he cannot wait to just hit you and as soon as you step out of line, that God is mad at you. And I've heard people say this, well, brother, what would you do? Well, I have been praying. Why have you been praying? Because I know God is mad at me. Well, why do you know God's mad at you? Because I did wrong. Well, have you went to him and have you asked for forgiveness? Have you asked for his mercy? No, I just, I just feel like I, I'm just not right. I mean, no, God is always there, and he's willing, and he's waiting. In fact, I want to show you an example. Turn to Judges 10. Now, I want you to keep your finger on Psalm 103, but I want you to turn to the book of Judges, chapter 10, and verses 10 to 16. I want to show you an example. Now, I'm going to move kind of fast because I don't want to keep you here long. So, uh, but in, Ju- in Judges, chapter number 10, we'll start reading in verse number 10. And in this, this particular passage of Scripture, and I want to kind of set the backdrop for you here. The children of Israel kept blowing it. In other words, they kept sinning against God. They got to a point that, uh, you know, God would deliver them. They would go back. They would start worshiping other gods, and they would start serving Baal. And then, you know, when they got themselves in a tough situation, they would go and cry out to God, and they would say, Lord, deliver me. And so what happened, God being the faithful God that he was and that he is today, God would deliver them. And so over and over again, God would carry in the book of Judges, they don't have a king. So every Bible described the book of Judges is that the theme of this book is every man did what was right in his own eyes. How many know that's bad when you got everybody just doing what they think is right because people are messed up. But but every but so God would raise up a leader, somebody that would help deliver them every time they blew it. So they kept doing it, they kept doing it. And finally, they come to this place, this passage of scripture I'm going to read to you, where you will think that God's mercy is going to run out. But what you will discover is that it, it did not run out. But I want to show you a little bit as, uh, from the scripture, the heart of God. Look at verse number 10. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have both forsaken our God and we serve Baals. So here's what they did. They, they knew they sinned against God. They knew they served Baals. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, watch this. Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the people of Ammon and from the Philistines and also from the Sidonians and the Amalekites and the Minoanites oppress you? And you cried out to me and I delivered you from their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and you served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Now, I want to listen to that. Now, God got to a point now. Now, you will think that it's over now. God says, I delivered you. You kept coming back to me. You kept on purpose. We're not talking about, you know, how sometimes you trip up and you sin. <laughs> We're talking about these folks said they knew about the mercy of God and they decided that even though God was God of mercy, that they're going to go ahead and do it anyway because they knew that God would just forgive them when they were ready to repent. Now, I know none of you had never done that. <laughs> 
I know God. See, they knew about his mercy. Just like Jonah when he went to Nineveh. God said, Jonah, go and preach to the folks at Nineveh and tell them to repent. Jonah said, no, 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 I don't want to preach to them people. Jonah did not want to see those people experience the mercy of God. So what Jonah said was, no, I ain't going to go. And finally, Jonah decided to go. And guess what God did? God forgave those people. and He had mercy on them. He didn't destroy them. And the Bible said that Jonah sit up on a juniper tree. He was mad. I knew, I knew that if you had me go preach to them people and warn them that they would repent and you would, and you would, and you would change your mind and have mercy on those people. I knew you would do it. See, the people here, they knew. And God said to them, God says, look, I ain't, I'm done with you. I am not going to deliver you no more. Everybody say no more. All right. <laughs> go and try. Look at verse 14. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. Oh, my goodness. Now, verse 15. And the children of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Now, you see, they're, they're, now they're confessing their sin, right? Do to us whatever seemed best to you. Only deliver us, we pray. Now, you think at this point, God has already said, I ain't delivering you no more. Go back and get them other gods to deliver you. I'm done with you, right? But look at this. So then, to, they're going to make it more interesting. Verse 16. So they put away the foreign gods. Now, they're totally ignoring God at this point. God says, go, go, go. They said, no, no, no. We're going to serve God. We're going to put away the foreign gods, all right? And they begin to serve the Lord. But then look at the second part of this verse. And this is God. This, this is referring to God. And his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. And you go down to the next chapter. God turns right back around and send them another leader to deliver them. That is a sneak peek into the heart of God. How God thinks. God, I mean, and it shows the emotional side of God. I mean, God, he's in love with his people. And he even said, you know, it's one time, you remember, he told Moses, he said to Moses, he said, Moses, he says, those people are so rebellious. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy all of them. I'm going to raise up a new nation. I'm going to start it with you. <laughs> and Moses began to intercede. And guess what happened? God changed his mind because God cannot stand to see his children suffer. When you cry now to God and you're opening your heart to him and you're repenting, how I many know God is going to, God's going to, He's going to extend some mercy to you. That's what he did. And he, they didn't deserve it. I mean, no, they didn't deserve it. I mean, they just start taking advantage of God's grace. But what did he do? God came right back along. And even after he said, I'm done with you, when he saw their misery, he saw them suffering, he said, I can't take it. I'm going to have to get them out of this. See, that's why there should never be any reason why you don't run to God when you blow it. And you can tell other people, see, this mercy is just not for you, but it is that you might tell other people who blow it, who think that God will not accept them under any circumstances for the things that they have done before being saved and after being saved. Has anybody ever messed up after you got saved? Mm. We got a righteous bunch in here. Hallelujah. I feel like I'm talking to myself. So then he has not, the second point I want to make, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. God has not dealt with us and given us what we really deserve. Because if he did, there would nobody be sitting here this morning breathing. I'm thankful that God does not treat me and give me what I really deserve. But every single day, God just keep on pouring out his mercy. You see, you remember 
Turn to John chapter 8, and we'll camp here for a couple of moments. In John chapter 8, talk about the woman that was caught in adultery. Anybody know what the law was back in those days if you were caught in adultery? Mm-hmm. Boy, can you imagine how many stones would be stoned, thrown today? Oh, my God. You say you have body splatter all over the street? <laughs> Don't say that, brother. <laughs> but there's, there's a ring of truth to that. But back in those days, if they were caught in adultery, they were stoned to death. That's what the law required. Now, you're going to read here in a second about this woman who was caught in adultery. And you're going to see how Jesus dealt with that. It's a wonderful depiction of the mercy of God. But look at, let's start in verse number one. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple. And the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman. Watch this. They brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst. Where did they set her at? In the midst. Did they have a private meeting with her? No. In the midst mean where? Around everybody else. I want you to get that because that's important. They set her in the midst. All right? And they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act. I got one question for you before we continue on. How many know it take two to tangle? Where's the, where's the brother at? I want you to hold that for a second. Because he ain't talking about him because the law required that both be stoned. Mm-hmm. So you, obviously they had some other agenda here. Whether it was some setup or whatever it was, my first question is where's the dude at? You caught her in the very act. She had to be been with somebody. All right, we've got to keep this PG. So let's go on to verse 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. In other words, Jesus ignored them. How do you know Jesus ignores you sometimes? Mm-hmm. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience, watch this, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now I want to stop right there. So first of all, what was the number one objective of the Pharisees? Now you all just read that. To test them? Did they care anything about her? No. They were willing. Now I want you to see this because You see how Jesus thinks. All of us are trying to be like Jesus. They bring this woman who caught in sin. First of all, they want to bring her out in the public. They want to make a public display of her. Look at what she did. That's why we got to be careful about wanting to always go and pass along every little thing we hear. 
Because, you know, we fall into a place where we're not in, in the blessing and in the favor of God when we start doing that. They bring her out. First of all, they drag this woman out. Again, nobody know where to do this. They drag this woman out. But there was no mercy and no grace in this at all. I remember, and I, and I say this to my shame. I say this to my shame. Years ago, some years ago, I was part of a praise and worship team at a church. And this one woman had gotten involved in well, she had a relationship, a boyfriend. She wasn't married, and uh, she got pregnant. And I remember her stomach growing and growing, and I'm thinking, and I heard that they had addressed it, right? But I got a little bothered because I said, based on where I grew up at, and this is about 10, 11 years ago, man, they should make it. They should bring her up front. I mean, she'd been up here singing in the praise and worship team. They need to bring her up front, and, and she need to confess before the whole church what she did. And I remember thinking, thinking, the pastor sure is easy on sin. See? Because I had this kind of self-righteous attitude. Now, he had dealt with it. But he had, he had dealt with it in a way that she was convicted of her sin. She knew she was wrong for what she did. And he decided to cover her sin. Not try to hide it. Not try to demean it. But he extended mercy to her. See, in this passage... And that's, I'm convinced that's one of the reasons why Jesus has flat ignored them, because of obvious other reasons, too. But they had no mercy. They didn't care anything about this woman. They just want to expose her sin. And they said to her, and they said to him, they call her in the very act, as if, man, I've been waiting. You ever, you ever known people like that that just always want to seem like they want to catch somebody in sin, catch somebody doing something? To them, it was a badge of honor. We caught this woman in the very act. So now, not only did we, we didn't hear that this woman committed adultery. We caught her while she was doing it. Now we know Jesus according to what Moses' law says. And you know, and and, and, and jot this down, that whenever somebody want to push their own agenda, they can always find a scripture, even if it's out of context, to support it. Well, you know Jesus Moses and the law said that such should be stoned to death. Kill her. Just like that. And the scripture said Jesus just sit there. He just, he just ignored him. And then finally he pipes up. He says, who among you is without sin? Let him cast the first stone. And the scripture says that every last one of them <laughs> dropped their stones. And they begin to walk off. Because they showed no mercy to this woman. And they didn't realize that the same issues that she had, they got some of the same problem. May be different. May not be the same sin. Because, you, know, you, know, you know how we Christians are. We categorize certain sins, right? This is a bad sin. This is not such a bad sin. A little white, a little white lie is not too bad. That's a worse sin than this sin. This is a real, oh, that's a real, really, really bad sin. And we make ourselves feel really good because we categorize and we compartmentalize our sins. But you know that sin is what? Sin in the eyes of God. And you need mercy every time you what? Sin. And so they, they drag this woman out. They, take, they try to use the scripture to push the agenda. 
And, you know, and I want to read it. You don't have to turn there. But, but in Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you are hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weight of your matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faith, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. In other words, Jesus said, no, you, 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 you follow the law to a T, but where's the mercy and grace in what you're doing? You've forgotten about justice and mercy. Where's that? Where was that with this woman? And when Jesus released her, he didn't say to her, okay, you can just go and have a good day. Don't worry about it. You know what he said to her? He said, woman, where are your accusers at? The folks that, that's talking bad about you, where are they at? And she says, I don't know, Lord. Lord says, I don't condemn you either. Then he said this, go and sin what? No more. It's not to say Jesus wasn't saying that what she did was wrong. He just gave her what she didn't deserve, mercy. And I want you to see the reaction of the other people who had dealt with her. They had no mercy for her. They had no compassion. And so you said, you know what? When we behave in that way, then we can expect no mercy when we want it. And I don't know about you, but I got to have it every day of my life. I need God's mercy. And so, we, and so when we talk about a culture of grace in our church, that's what we're talking about. Not a place where people can come and feel like that there's a bunch of self-righteous people who do it right all the time. But you know what? We make mistakes, too. We blow it sometimes, too, you know? Sometimes the best of our efforts end up short. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody has. And that doesn't stop happening when you become a believer. If anybody, you know, you... You know, anybody like stop sinning since they got saved? If anybody had a bad thought this morning? <laughs> oh, you know, I often wonder this. What if God, in his infinite wisdom, because, you know, all things are possible, right, with God. What if God just kind of put a little television screen, one of those high-definition TVs, flat screens, like right here on our head? And, you know, what came on, what was on, it was, what was on that screen was every thought that ran through our mind. There'd be a whole lot of people like this. <laughs> I want you to see that. <laughs> because we all sin. There are different grades of it. You know, we don't do some things that other people do. We look at that and say, oh, God. But I want, I, what I want you to see is that, that God is a God of mercy and that we should have mercy on folks no matter what they've done. There should be an attitude in us that says, you know what, I'm going to lift you up, brother. I'm going to lift you up, sister. I know you struggled. You failed. I'm going to help you. I'm not going to leave you where you are. I'm going to tell you about how you need to come out of this because I love you too much to see you where you are. But not in this condescending way that suggests that we have somehow arrived at the expense of somebody else's sin. We, 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 we cannot do that. Back to Psalm 103, he talks about how that in verse 12, as far as the east, well, first of all, he talks about the heavens. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so great is his mercy toward us. I want you to get that picture. Think about earth. There are three heavens that we know of, that we know of. But he says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so great is his mercy toward us. Now, that's another way of God saying that you cannot exhaust the mercy of God. 
Now, you should be glad about that. You should be happy. You should be thankful that you can always say, Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me today, Lord. And feel good and know that God will give it to you. He says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our sins from us. How many know the east and the west, they never meet? All right? The east and west never meet. So God has moved your sins that far away from you. So God is not in the business of dragging up your sin. People are. If anybody ever try to tell you about all this stuff, just say, look, that's the old me. I died there. I, I already confessed that. It's under the blood. I'm moving on with my life. Yeah, but you did this last week, so I've confessed that. I'm moving on. Because as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my transgression far away from me. So I'm free. This, now, that doesn't make me want to sin. See, people that take the grace of God, for example, say, oh, okay. People that... <laughs> There's a balloon that bust, I think. A balloon burst, I should say. Uh, but people that take the grace of God for granted, for an example, and they say, well, you know what? This is just a license to sin. I don't think those people are saved. Because when you get saved, you get right with God. One of the, one of the ways you know you're saved is you want to do right. You just have a desire in you. You just want to do right. Don't mean you always do right. But when you do wrong, you feel bad about it. You know why? Because God's spirit lives on the inside. And it's something that you say, I shouldn't have done that. I lost it. I lost it. I lost it. They, just, they shouldn't have cut me off. I wouldn't have said that, you know? Yeah, I've been driving on the road, and sometimes people have done some stuff to me. I told you one time I was driving on 95, a lady looked right at me and put that middle finger up at me. All kind of thoughts came up in my mind. And I pulled her over, and I had a conversation with her. And I gave her some mercy because she was crying the blues because she realized that she had gave the finger to a cop and she was terrified. She was shaking. We're driving down the road, driving down the interstate, and she just riding my bumper. And then I guess I won't go on fast enough for her. So the homegirl just looked at me, drove by me, and just kind of, you know, that's the PG version. And, uh, <laughs> and she did that, right? And so... And I, and I just reacted. I pulled over, and I walked up to that car. She, I mean, I thought I had to call the paramedics. But I had mercy. She deserved a ticket. But I said, you know what? I'm just going gonna, gonna to let you slide today. This is what you deserve. That's how God does us all the time, doesn't he? You blow up, you do something stupid, and God says, okay. I, I think you got it now. I'm going to let you slide. But just go and don't do it no more. Stop doing it. Get your life together. So he says, as a father pities his child, so the Lord pities us. I remember, you remember Michael Jackson when he, uh, before he died, that uh, he was accused of child molestation. Everybody in the world had convicted him, pretty much. I mean, at least everybody in this country had convicted him. I mean, in this country, you get tried in the press. That's just as good as a jury. I mean, it's over. If the, if the, if the, usually, in most cases, if, the, if, if people in the, in the public find you guilty, you're guilty. You're gonna, they're gonna, uh, Michael Jackson somehow escaped that. But even though that there was a lot of people that kept saying, he did it, he did it, he did it. Now, I'm not here to make an argument if he did or not. It's not the issue. It's irrelevant at this point for obvious reasons. But one of the things I always saw that every time he walked in the courtroom, I'll always see your mom and dad right there with him. And I'm convinced 
that if he would have gotten convicted, if they would have proved it, if they would have had videotape showing him that he did it, showing everybody that he did it, that his mom and dad would have what? Still been there to have mercy on him. You know why? Because that's my baby. No matter how bad our kids do, we're going to have mercy on our kids, aren't we? If we who are evil know how to give gifts to our kids, how much more will our father give good gifts to us? How much more God will have mercy on his children who cry out to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I blew it. I'm sorry. God, forgive me. God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. He says, as a father pities his child, God pities you. Isn't it good that God have mercy? He pities you. He looks at you sometimes. He says, you're just pitiful. Come on in. Let me love you. Let me give you a big eternal kiss. See, that's good. So, let's close with this verse in Galatians chapter 6. How many of you can sense God's mercy right now? We're going to try to play a song here in a minute, and I want you to hear it. And if, I, if it had a male version, I'm, I would sing it for you. So I'm going to start doing some, I'm gonna, just to let y'all know, I'm going to start doing some more solos. And so y'all, you know, that'd be one of the things. Anybody who feel like you're anointed, you, can you sing, sister? You anointed? You got a voice? No. Hey, you want to sing? Sister Dyke? Brother Dyke? No? All right. Okay. <laughs> hey, that's why the scripture said make a joyful noise. <laughs> Some of us just gotta make some of us just make noise. <laughs> oh boy. Now look at this verse. It says, now, brethren, if any man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, that means you who supposedly are mature Christians, you who supposedly know the word, who is highly anointed of God, you who are spiritual. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Watch this. Considering yourself, lest you be tempted. Now, this is not, not, I don't know if I made a convincing enough case for you about the mercy of God today, but this is not me talking. He said, if anyone is caught in any trespass, not certain ones, am I right about it? Any trespass. So, The whole purpose of any confrontation over sin is always for the purpose of restoration. I want to restore you, brother. I want to see you healthy. Nothing pleases me more than to see the folks that I pastor to be healthy in their relationships, healthy, uh, you know, in their jobs and their resources and their finances, healthy in their attitudes and in their relationships, healthy in every aspect. So if anybody who considers themselves spiritual, you want to restore with a spirit of gentleness. That means that we ain't banging people across the head about it. We ain't rough about it. See, that's what a culture of grace is. You talk, we hear people say, not your, so I'm, I'm talking to you because as the Lord continued to add to our number, this is who we are. When people come, they will sense a culture of grace here. That we're going to be gentle with people because we consider ourselves lest we be tempted. In other words, the Bible is saying, let him that thinks he stand Be careful lest he falls. Considering yourself, because you could be in that same situation, therefore you better be careful calling out somebody else's stuff and not demonstrating the mercy of God. I don't know about you, but boy, I tell you, we got every reason to give mercy to other folks. Listen, 
we're not saying this morning that we need to overlook sin because there are some folks and some, some preachers and teachers out there that totally neglect the Bible. I ain't calling names because you know who they are. And it's always, nobody can ever do. One of the ways that you help people is you tell them about the wrong that they're doing and how to correct it. But you tell them in a way that is loving and in a way that is not condescending, in a way that they can receive it and be built up, not to be torn down. If you can catch that spirit and that you always show mercy, when you hear about somebody to struggle in their relationship and you see somebody decided to forgive, don't sit back and say, oh, just, you know, I, I see people like that. I say, oh, the grace of God, because I don't know if I could do that. But thank God I want to model that person because they can do something. They're experiencing the grace and mercy of God and, and they are showing it. I want to grow like that. I want to be that person that can forgive people no matter what they do to me. I remember James Dobson some years ago talked about, I had a lady on his TV show who had gotten raped. And she looked at this person that raped her and said to her, and, and, and basically, um, you know, she said to this man, Jesus love you. And when he went to prison, she went to the prison to visit him and to pray with him. Now I'm sure there was a lot of folks saying, you're out of your mind. Because to the world, they look at that, and what did the world say? And that man was, you know, he seemed repentant. He was crying. He just could not believe that this woman would do that. But see, that's grace and mercy. And that's what we all want. I want to play a song for you this morning. Hopefully we can get it going. At least you can, leave, you can allow the CD to continue to record.